0: Welcome to the Helping Couples Heal podcast. A place for healing and hope for couples impacted by betrayal resulting from infidelity and or sex addiction. Your hosts are Marnie Breaker and Dwayne Osterland, licensed marriage and family therapists, certified sex addiction therapists, and founders of respective treatment centers in Long Beach, Los Angeles, and San Diego, California. Marnie and Duane co-created Helping Couples Heal, a comprehensive program for couples recovering from betrayal trauma including an in-person two-day workshop, an online aftercare program, and this podcast series is the first component of the program. Thank you for listening. Marnie and Duane are committed to helping you recover from the devastating impact of betrayal trauma and are honored to support you wherever you may be in your healing. If you've lost hope, you've come to the right place. Now, take a slow, deep breath, and let's begin with the Helping Couples Heal podcast.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Helping Couples Heal podcast. This is Marnie and I'm here with Dwayne.
2: Hello, everyone. Good to be here.
1: And today we are going to be talking about a topic that is so crucial to talk about when we're talking about um, sexual betrayal and relational betrayal, because it's something that really, really impacts the ability for couples to heal. And more particularly, it really impacts the ability for the one who's done the betrayal to to, to do the work that he needs to do or she needs to do in order to help their partner heal. So um, without further ado, I will introduce the topic, which is shame.
2: Yeah, this is a tough one to talk about. Shame is an emotion that is pretty painful for all of us. In some ways, shame is called the master emotion. It's the emotion that shuts down all other emotions. It's uh, an emotion that can really feel overwhelming and stop us from being relational
1: exactly and and so how that really shows up with the clients that we work with is that the person who's done the betrayal really hurt devastated shattered the person that they love by betraying them right and so every time he or she looks at that person that person is a reflection or a mirror of the worst thing that they have done, right? And so to look at that person and hear how much they hurt them, how, how much they've betrayed them, all of that stuff that is so hard to hear feels intolerable for someone who is filled with shame and doesn't have the skills to, to tolerate the shame and still show up. For the, for the partner, right? So the shame is constantly a barrier to relational healing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's important to point out here too is that even though the person who's done the betrayal feels that shame, they still have to also at the same time be accountable to what they've done and the impact that betrayal has had on the people around them. So there's this balancing Act going on here, where we have to work in the parameters of shame, right? Because it's it's most likely going to be there when a person starts to look at their behavior. They're going to feel a tremendous amount of shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know, 99 percent of people are going to feel shame. There is a there is a small percentage that won't, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about when shame comes into this process of healing and stops people from being able to repair.
1: Right. And I want to make a little bit of a disclaimer here in that we are not saying that the goal is for shame to go away 100%. I mean, that would be awesome. But it's not really realistic. You know, we, as humans, experience shame. A lot of us um, come from histories, right, where we where we, we grow up with shame. And the idea is to do lots of shame reduction work so that it doesn't take us over right, but it's not going to go away a hundred percent. That's to me, it's like saying when you've lost somebody and then you get over the grief that you're going to be healed. No, you know you're never right. the same after a, a huge loss or a huge trauma. Um, you're different. It's it's impacted you in a way, and so the but the goal is to be able to get to a point where you feel the shame, you notice it's there, it could impact you, it could sting, but you're able to tolerate it so that you don't. In, in, in essence, abandon your partner and no longer be able to listen to them and to their pain because it's too much for you, right? And and you essentially have a shame attack or a shame spiral and then you're not there for the partner who you already hurt and already abandoned in the past. So the, the metaphor that I always share with clients about this is if you've seen the movie A Beautiful Mind, there's... There's this scene where the main character who has schizophrenia and sees, you know, has hallucinations, visual hallucinations, throughout the movie, he's responding to what he is seeing that's not real, right? Because he doesn't know that it's not real. By the end of the movie, there's a scene where he's walking and the fictional characters, I think there's two of them, the ones from his head that he was hallucinating throughout the, the movie, are walking beside him and skipping and talking. And he knows that they're there. He's aware that they're there, but he's not engaging with them. He's able to be aware of the fact that they're there, but he's not stopping himself from living his life and being able to continue doing what he needs to do. Whereas earlier in the film, he would absolutely stop what he's doing and engage as though they were real. And it would... It would make it impossible for him to function in his own life. So I hope that that metaphor makes sense. I, Dwayne, I don't know if I've ever shared that with you, or if do you think it's a good illustration of what I'm trying to say here.
2: I I think it is when when we're when we're dealing with shame, as like when we're moving through life and we're feeling the shame. I think this metaphor works because we can separate ourselves a little bit from this overwhelming emotion to show up and be present. But I think what would be important to, to talk about first is how I see, and and probably you too, see shame show up in this process. So a lot of times when couples come to us and the, the betrayal is now out in the open and the, the couple is, is kind of reeling in all of this hurt and pain and betrayal and grief and loss and anger and rage and all, and shame, all of that. What happens is the person who's been betrayed wants to communicate to the other, the person who's done the betrayal, how much pain is there and try really hard to get remorse Mm -hmm. so that they know, like, I know you know how much you hurt me, right?
1: And not just cognitive, not cognitive remorse, like that real remorse that feels authentic and organic and real.
2: Yeah, it's an emotional experience. It has to be mm-hmm. emotional. Right. The problem that I see a lot is that the person who's done it is overwhelmed in their own shame. And shame is an emotion that is extremely painful, right? Mm-hmm. It's designed to be painful or designed or evolved to be painful, however you want to look at that. And it it what it does is it's a social construct emotion. So it keeps us in connection with other people. So when we look at like healthy shame, say we're about to do something that is inappropriate, shame will come up and say, no, don't do that. You're going to be rejected from the group because that's not appropriate. So healthy shame is a modulator of our our behavior. It comes in, shuts down this other parts of the brain, these other feelings that then help us not engage in behavior that, that we would see as you know, shame, that's shameful. I won't do it. When we're dealing with trauma and we're dealing with betrayal and, and addiction, that shame has been set aside, right? And so they can engage in those behaviors without acknowledging that right. shame, right? Mm-hmm. But then once betrayal happens and discovery happens, it's all out in the open. They can't run from that shame anymore. Now they, they see it. It's right there. It's present. And so the person who's been hurt says, look how much you've hurt me. Look at the damage you've done and the other person feels all of that shame and can't connect because this is a this is a social emotion a social construct when we feel shame i cannot be part of the group i can't i i can't mm-hmm. be there right i'm not mm-hmm. worthy of being there so mm-hmm. now you have this weird dilemma where the person is trying to get remorse to tr- to try and see that the other person is seeing the pain can't get that because the other person is so overwhelmed in their own shame that what ends up happening a lot of the times is that the, the person who's been betrayed just goes, Oh, it's all about them again. They're all in their shame and their guilt. Yep. They're all caught up in that. And a lot of times the person who has a lot of shame, or maybe they have a shame bound self where they've been they've grown up in a shame-based family, thinks empathy is look how shameful I am. You know, look right. how much shame I feel. Like, that's remorse. That's not remorse. Why are you, that's an why expression are you even, of shame.
1: Why are you even with me? Right? Like, why would you even be with someone so horrible? Right? Yes, exactly. Thinking that that is showing how how much <laughs> remorse they have and that they recognize the damage that they've done. But that's actually right. reverse narcissism.
2: Yeah. And, and and really, remorse is about being able to take your own feelings, your own Whatever they are in that moment, setting them aside and really connecting to the other's pain Mm -hmm. and really being able to experience as best you can the other person's uh, suffering that you caused and being able to know that you caused it.
1: And this is why in the early stages after discovery, relational healing and relational stabilization is so difficult. Because in the early stages, you have somebody who has all this shame, typically. I mean, there could be people that don't relate to this. But generally speaking, we are seeing people that are filled with shame, right? Very, like you said, shame bound, um, coming from that, like just an upbringing of shame. And they don't have all of this knowledge. They're not hearing um, about shame and how to deal with shame, right? And how to learn how to tolerate the shame in order to be able to show up for their partner. So constantly It's continuing that cycle of a partner desperately needing the one who hurt her to be able to connect, to be able to listen to her, to be able to tolerate her pain. And he or she is completely unable to do that, incapable of doing that. And so sadly, the very thing that the one who's betrayed needs to do in order to help their partner heal is the very thing that actually they can't do. And that's where good treatment really comes in
2: yeah absolutely there's this balancing piece here in 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 working through this uh there's the appropriate accountability guilt and some appropriate level of shame for the 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 what uh the person has done to the other right they they have to experience that but at the same time they also have to get out of what like Going, going back a ways, looking at like the, the, the concept of toxic shame, they have to get out of the toxic shame, the shame that surrounds the self and the experience of the self in order to be present So, and, and help their partner heal, right? And I think what happens a lot is that that can also get mistaken as that we have to protect the person who's done the betrayal. Right, like they Mm -hmm. can't own, like you can't own your stuff and also work on your shame, right? They aren't mutually exclusive, you can do both. And Mm -hmm. so there's this idea of being able to practice that self-compassion in order to show up for your partner in a way that helps them heal with true remorse.
1: Yes, and also you mentioned something that, that made me think of this. So when working with the person who's done the betrayal, I believe that oftentimes therapists that might not be very well equipped to work with this population, but do protect the one who's done the betrayal in the sense that they, they sort of collude with the idea of this helplessness, right? Or, or victimization right. on the part of the one who's done the betrayal. And we see this a lot with um, the, the clinical therapeutic disclosure with, no, he or she is not ready to do that yet. Uh-uh, needs more time, right? Like the shame is to the shame, right? Like using that again, like there's too much shame, they won't be able to do it. It's pushing the him or her too much going, we have to slow it down. And I think that that's actually quite patronizing to that person to make assumptions that they're not capable of learning to manage their shame and still show up to do something in integrity. That's going to help their partner heal.
2: Yeah. And they, ha- they have to do that work, right? And Omar Manwala also talks about doing that mountain work that the person who has done the betrayal has to kind of get up to the top of the mountain and look down at the destruction that they've they've done, right? Mm -hmm. And they have to work through that shame and at the same time start to create self-compassion so that the relationship in their in them in themselves can change from a shame-bound relationship which keeps you separate that keeps you disconnected, right? That doesn't allow you to actually have remorse if you're so overwhelmed with your own shame and you can't regulate it enough.
1: And what I love about um, Dr. Manwall is- metaphor of the mountain work is that he, he acknowledges that you're not going to have somebody um, who's in that kind of shame be able to literally start at the bottom and just walk straight up the mountain and get to the top and look down at the burn village and all the destruction, that it's a process. And yeah. that's and that that process, again, is hard for the betrayed partner who's wait, who's desperately, desperately there at the top of the mountain looking down and, and like, I'm part of that burn village and I need you to get up here with me and I need you to look down and see the destruction you caused. But it is not something that happens overnight, which which is a shame, because if it did, yeah. it would make relational healing and recovery a lot easier. I think we'd see a lot more. um couples healing from betrayal a lot faster
2: yes absolutely it would and and this is the hard thing that uh couples face because most of the time for someone who is struggling with compulsive sexuality and integrity abuse disorders they're coming from that uh shame-bound self right on a deep level a lot a lot of times now we understand that everybody's unique and there's not one universal way that um you know but generally speaking you know they're they're mired in that shame-based self so they they can't do this right away they have to learn the skills to be able to get there and unfortunately that does take time Mm -hmm. and the other thing i would say is you know in doing this work for over a decade and working with with many couples and many people through uh addiction and and is that no addiction heals through shame right mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't happen shame is that emotion as i said earlier about disconnection and if there is shame in the system there's not going to be deep connection because because there's not a You're not worthy to have deep connection. So you get in this conundrum. And so there's this balance of accountability and ownership that a person must take for the pain that they've caused. And at the same time, the practice of self-compassion and kindness in order to show up for the other. And it sounds contradictory, but it's it's what I've found brings about the most healing, because at the end of the day, we all want to be in loving, safe relationships with with others.
1: With people and we when trust.
2: Shame, yeah, people we trust. And when shame is there, we are disconnected.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Or I would say when shame is overly present, right? overly present we're disconnected right
1: when shame when shame sort of takes over when it's it's so big right it's spilling over i actually look at shame like the sludge in a swamp right like if you're trying to get across the swamp you're not and, and the shame is there you have to go through it you cannot get to the other side unless you keep pushing through the sludge and you're all gross and wet and muddy and sludgy and slimy right and but eventually, you're going to get to the other side, and yeah. that's really how we have to look at shame and treatment, right? It's it's something we have to face. You know, something I want to offer as kind of a concrete um, a tool is a book that, um, if you're listening and you've attended one of you know our workshops, you've definitely heard heard me share about this. But there's a book called "Growing Yourself Back Up," and that book is all about. Regression or trauma reactions, and oftentimes what causes trauma reactions or regressions as adults that that are having conversations, let's say, with our, our spouse or partner is shame. So in the current moment, there's a trigger and the trigger trigger is usually triggering some kind of shame. And immediately the person has a regression. Another way to say that is they they regress to another ego state. They're no longer in their functional adult self, right? So they've been taken over by maybe a wounded child, right? Or an angry adolescent. And the partner is looking at at, at the partners, thinking, who is this? Like I, my my husband or my wife is not here anymore. Like I don't. Someone just came over and, and took over because they're not here, and that's true. Because legitimately, there's been a, re- a regression. So that's a great book to read about regressions and about how to start to notice inside of yourself when it's happening, and to get the ball rolling in terms of starting to work on the shame and how to manage the shame. The goal, by the way, is not to never have a trauma reaction again or never regress again. Because as humans, by the way, regardless of how much trauma we've had or have not, everyone regresses. You know, yeah. it happens more often when you come from a lot of trauma. That's true. But we're not going to eliminate it completely. The goal is to decrease the frequency in which it happens. So there's fewer shame reactions or shame spirals or trauma reactions, however you want to you want to say it. And that when they do happen, they are... Uh, they, the dec- there's a decrease in intensity of the reaction right yeah and it, and it might and, and the couple is able to over time come back from it a lot faster and the one who's who's regressing can grow themselves back up in the moment rather than have to you know have a big blow up and then come back later with the apology right like this takes time but that's the goal learning to grow yourself back up is a wonderful way of learning how to manage shame and continue to show up and help heal your relationship
2: right and slowly get out of the shame-based self you know when we experience ourself uh our sense of self, we experience that emotionally. And if we've come from early childhood trauma or neglect or abuse, we tend to have a self built around the emotion of shame. So when we're trying to be with ourselves, we just feel shame. And that's just painful. Once again, shame is one of the most painful emotions we can feel. So, you know, how do you how are you with yourself if your core is built around shame? You you find ways to avoid it. And that's one of the reasons. Addiction manifests itself and we regress because we, we're like, I, I can't feel this. I have to feel something different. It's too mm-hmm. painful to be here and to be present with this. And we lose consciousness to that over time as we move into adulthood. We don't even realize we're doing it. It's so habitual that we just we just do
1: it. And, and regression is such a procedural pattern because shame can be sparked in an instant right, in a microsecond. And so we have to develop the skills. And, and by the way, not just the skills, we have to be willing to have accountability. We have to be willing to recognize that there's shame and that the shame is indeed serving as a barrier to healing a relationship, right? And so being willing to do the work, to learn how to manage that learn how to tolerate what's ever, right, what, what's going right. on in the body right learn mm-hmm. how to not drop into a regressed ego state because when you reg- when you regress in a grown-up relationship it's imp- it's not relational because one person now is not in their grown-up state you can't be relational when one of the members of a coupleship has has essentially left the room and now a child or uh, an angry teenager is there, right? So looking at it from a place of we can only heal when we're able to be relational. We can't be relational when shame is taking over everything. Shame right. can be there. It can be there. And likely it will be in in some kind of compartmentalized part of the body or the, the the self, right? But it can't be the loudest part. It can't be the biggest part. It has to get smaller and smaller and smaller so the, the person's, authenticity and vulnerability and empathy um, and humility and all of those things can be bigger because that's what it takes to help heal the relationship.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's one other really important part when it comes to the relationship to talk about is that the person who has suffered the betrayal or the abuse, it is not their job to regulate the betrayer's shame, right? Right. The betrayer needs to go Correct. do this work so that they can show up for their partner. It's it's not the the partner's responsibility to do that, right? To go in and try and regulate that and protect the person who's done the abuse from their no. shame. They need to go off and get that help and get that support outside of the relationship. It is the it is the betrayer's job or the abuser's job if they're willing to change to show up for their partner and be as present as they can. But most likely, they're going to have to work on the shame component to be able to do that. Otherwise, they're gonna be so so caught up in their own shame that they're not gonna be present anyway. And the partner is just going to feel, once again, Abandoned to their own pain by themselves.
1: But let's, right. And so let's talk about for one second treatment induced trauma. Something that often happens to partners is that they are given this misguided information from, you know, a treatment professional that they should be showing up, let's say, with more empathy for the one who's betrayed them, that they should be helping them with their shame, right? That they shouldn't shame them by sharing the devastation that they've experienced as a result of the betrayal because that you, as you said it is not the partner's responsibility to protect the one that's hurt them that doesn't mean it's okay to be abusive what i'm saying is that the one who's done the betrayal cannot look to the partner that's been hurt to help him in that moment or her right so This is, this is a, so this is another sort of shout out, I feel like we do this in every episode, but for groups. So if you're a female betrayer, then you go to a female betrayer group. If you're a male betrayer, you go to a male betrayal group so that you can work on the shame with other like-minded people who understand and can give you the support, right? You're not going to go and expect your partner who's on the floor hemorrhaging to be able to go and help you.
2: Yes, I totally agree with that. And I think it's also important to say that. The person who's done that has to look honestly at the consequences of their actions and look at their behavior and be able to see it as traumatic, as abusive, as lacking integrity. They have to own that. That truth has to be there. And what I found is that most people in this process, and the person who's done the betrayal want to do that work, although it is difficult. They want to heal the relationship. Not everybody, but the majority, uh, I think, th- they want that healing. They want to have connected relationships. And they realize that they're stuck um, not being able to do that and not being able to help their partner heal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is this is such a... Um... Big topic. I mean, this is just such a big topic. We could do consecutive episodes about shame, you know, for the next, you know, 12 months. But we, we do hope that it's started a conversation, right? And it's something that um, that's that's able to open up a discussion. Because without the, the discussion about shame, without without really moving into the swamp, right, and, and working through the sludge, there's really no room for growth and healing. And unfortunately, I think that'll keep relationships not only stuck, but really in trauma and crisis. So, And I
2: think that goes to, there, there are resources out there. I think that goes to show how popular Brene Brown's work on shame is. Yes, that she yes. called out shame as this thing mm-hmm. that as human beings, we all deal with. So there's some universality to that. And so there are tons of resources out there to create shame tolerance to heal toxic shame to to work through that so that your relationship can can heal and you could have meaningful true nurturing connections with others
1: yeah shame is shame is the um is the thing that will shatter relationships that will keep relationships in um, distress and you know potentially destroy relationships right we have to do we have to do those things that we know that are the um anecdote to that and um just before we end i want to throw out there another book recommendation john bradshaw's book healing the shame that binds you is another really great one that that can help educate about the topic of shame
2: yeah toxic uh,
1: shame
2: yeah we'll put that on our resource page as well
1: well thanks everyone thanks for being here thanks for listening thanks for your continued support we hope that you are all finding peace and support as you continue to walk through this journey of relational healing and recovering from the impact of betrayal.
2: Absolutely.
1: Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time.
2: Yes, and thank you for all the support and encouragement as we continue to do this work. We really appreciate it. And we will talk to you on the next episode.
0: Thank you for listening to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, where your healing is the number one priority. If you'd like additional resources about betrayal trauma or to learn more about the workshop, please visit helpingcouplesheal.com. If you're finding the podcast helpful, please support Dwayne and Marnie in continuing to reach others impacted by betrayal trauma. If you are finding the podcast helpful, please support Marnie and Dwayne in continuing to reach others impacted by betrayal trauma by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast with someone you care about. Once again, thank you for listening. We're grateful for your trust and look forward to continuing to support you on your journey of healing.